0: Amen. Good morning, you hope. It is good to see you again. You know, I say that, and some of you go, yeah, he always says that. But you know what? This week, five people died. Five people. One of those I know very well. Our life is a gift from God. Never, every day you get up, doesn't matter about the rain, be happy. (laughs) Be happy. So, I'd love you to take your Bibles out, or if you've got them, and which I'd encourage you to bring with them, and open them to Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, Exodus 2017. Now, I would highly encourage you to take the notes that you have and make some personal notes. On Fridays, Kimberly and I are just getting back into the habit of doing what we've done for some time. that is, we share with each other on Fridays, at eight o'clock in the morning, what she's been learning. Kimberly gets up often at 5 a.m. in the morning and she does her Bible study and she learns. She's gone book after book after book after notebook after notebook she's filled. But one of the great things is sometimes we were just sharing last Friday, wasn't it Saturday? Friday, um, with each other. It's great to be able to share what you're learning in the Word of God with each other and it is great accountability because you know what? Next Friday you have to share with your wife or your husband what God has been speaking to you about and the things you've been studying. It is a great uh, tool to encourage you in what's going on in your wife's life and your husband's life and vice versa. So I'd encourage you to do that. Share with those, um, because it says continually to learn to grow. All right. It's challenging that, by the way, because all of a sudden you have accountability every Friday. Uh, bring your book along and let's see what you've done. Kind of like the school teacher who says, uh, bring your homework book and I want to see what you've been doing. It's a great way to get motivated. All right. Milton Bradley. Today we're going to talk about learning to be content. Milton Bradley has a game which is insane. Look what they've put the, 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 this game in. It's called More Madness. And in the description, if you look it up, It says, you'll be the first to buy everything on your shopping list and spend all your money, excuse me, will you be the first to buy everything on your shopping list, spend all your money and make it back to the parking lot. That's the objective of that game. Show them what that looks like. Mall madness. My goodness, have we gone mad? A recent survey of teenage girls showed that 93% of them chose the number one pastime was shopping. Shopping. As you've probably seen at Botany, they are cranking that up. So today, I'm going to take aim, because God takes aim at this, of one of the big strongholds in our society. I'm going to wrap it up on the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20 verse 17 says this. Let's read it together. You. Okay. That felt like a three-legged race, okay, when we're not quite in sync. Let's do it again. You shall not covet anything that belongs. What is coveting? Pug, Speak up a bit. Wanting. Yep. Anything else? Coveting. Hey, it's in the top 10 commandments, so it's a good idea, first of all, to get our definitions right, okay? So... Coveting is the uncontrolled desire to acquire. The uncontrolled desire to acquire. Now, I would need to put a caveat in here. There's a bit of a nuance. The desire to acquire is not all bad. I'm going to balance this. Squirrels have a desire to acquire nuts. (laughs) Right? That's good. God gave it to them that's okay birds have a desire to acquire straw for nests you will notice that and God has filled the world with all kinds of exciting good and desirable things but the uncontrolled desire to acquire is a problem so much so it is mentioned in the top ten okay Now, actually, God says anything that is uncontrolled is a problem. Anything uncontrolled. And some things are off limits. That's it. Stop. Off limits. They are not even yours to want. They are harmful. So they must be controlled. Now, would you agree that in our culture, it is hard to be content with what you have? Would you agree that? Yeah, pretty much is. Think about, you know, the latest. Well, I think people are getting a bit over iPhones these days. You know, the latest phone and, you know, the, the whole ladder. So this morning, I want to look, firstly, on the first side of your outline, on the harmful effects according to the Word of God, not according to culture, but according to your maker, the harmful effects of always wanting more. And the Bible says there are five specific Deleterious effects on your character when I do not control the desire to acquire. Firstly, the first effect of always wanting more. And does anybody vaguely familiar with this? It's the word fatigue. In our constant push to get more, we overwork. And we take on second jobs. Some I even know have got three jobs. And everybody in the family is working for the dollar. And it's a material rat race. And as a result, everybody is tired. Now the Bible has clear advice on this. Proverbs 23 verse 4. A great verse to highlight and slap in the middle of your refrigerator. So you can see it every day. Look what it says. It says, do not wear yourself out. Trying to be rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. In other words, the Bible is telling you, let me put it in Kiwi colloquialism, it's dumb to wear yourself out just trying to get more. Simple. That is biblical, godly advice. Second is debt. That's another effect. Debt. Anybody identify with this one? Notice this verse. The more money you have, the more money you spend. Ecclesiastes 5.11. Now today we're talking about coveting. Coveting destroys budgets. And we think the problem is, well, we don't have enough money. No. The problem is we want too much too soon. That's the problem. We want too much too soon. Some of you may be shocked, but my mum grew up in an era, and some of that rubbed off on me. In fact, a lot of it rubbed off on me. They'd get the house, but they couldn't afford the furniture, so they would wait. And they would, my son slept on pallets with some foam topper on the top for a while. That made his bed up until he could afford it. In our family, I can honestly say this, because of my mother's legacy, now listen careful, parents and grandparents, because of my mother's legacy, not one person in my entire family has ever bought anything on tick payment apart from a mortgage. That's it. No high purchase, no 60 months interest-free. That is a bunch of rubbish. If anybody offers you 60 months interest-free, say, I don't want that, calculate the interest and say, give me that as a discount off the price, because you are paying for that, Which, whether you know it or not. It's misleading. The things that we think are our needs actually are often our greeds. We probably saw some of that in Joshua's talk there. And by the way, Kiwis have a, this is fact, a terrible record of paying off debt. Their credit card balances, specifically, they've got a shocking record of paying off every month. In fact, Kiwis pay only an average of 63% of their balance, and they pay 18% interest on it. So, what that means is Kiwis are paying $4.4 billion worth of interest every year, just in interest. And the source of that is CanStar. That's called deficit spending. The only people that can get away with that is the government, and they won't get away with that forever. It doesn't work that way. Life doesn't work that way. And because we want more, we get further into debt. And it always costs more to have more. And here's the first, uh, an axiom I've always learned. That if the grass is greener in the other field, so is the water bill. Somebody's paying for it. The third effect of always wanting more is worry. From the scriptures. The Bible says a working man can get a good night's sleep. But the rich man has so much, he stays awake worrying. And so when we focus on the things, we inevitably worry. The more you have, the more you need to manage, insure, and then the accountant and the tax specialist and everybody else has got their hands out for their share of the pie. Worrying about how am I going to protect it, how am I going to invest it, how am I going to minimise taxes and maintain it and keep it. If you add these first three together, you end up with this fourth one, the fourth effect. The fourth effect of always wanting to get more is conflict. Conflict. Let's read this verse from James 4, verse 1, together aloud. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from battles that uh, desires that battle within you? So conflict comes from always wanting more. And one of the main causes of divorce is financial pressure. Arguments, doesn't matter whether you've got not much or a lot. Arguments over money, arguments over possessions, And especially when you have what I want, there's going to be conflict. And God says don't covet what is somebody else's. What specifically does he mention? And what does Jesus mention too? Well don't covet somebody else's job. Don't covet somebody else's car. Don't covet somebody else's house. Don't covet somebody else's spouse, husband or wife. You know, oh, I wish I had a husband like him. He's so kind and gentle, so understanding. Not like you. He's so sensitive and manly. Oh, I wish I had a wife like her. She's so talented and witty and pretty. Don't do that, the Bible says. And God says don't do that because it causes conflict. What's the fifth effect? I've always wanted more. It's called dissatisfaction. Look at this verse, powerful. Teach these principles to your children and your grandchildren. You will never be satisfied if you long to be rich. I'm just going to put pause right now. Time out. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that? Or are you actually by default saying, by the way you're living your life, actually I don't believe that. I'm trusting my opinion, the world's opinion, more than God's. He says, you will never be satisfied if you long to be rich. By the way, remember the other part of that? What is the root of evil? The love of money. Not money itself, but the love of it. This uncontrolled desire that keeps driving you forward and working you to the bone. You will never get all you want, the Bible says. Even Rockefeller. Rockefeller who had billions, and that's spelled, by the way, with a capital B. One reporter once famously asked him, how much more would it take for you to be happy? And you know what his answer was? Just a little bit more. It's a mirage. And the scriptures say, don't be dumb. Don't be stupid. It's foolish. I love the Living Bible's uh, uh, translation. It says, it's foolish to think that wealth brings happiness. Let me tell you, I know some people who've got some money. And they tell me, and I know them very well, I have a bedroom in their home. And I know life is complex. Very complex. When you have a lot. Let's be clear. I want to bring some reality to this. Things can bring happiness for a while. Think about that new phone that you bought. Everything you thought about it was raw. And then it kind of loses its lustre. It's an unusual effect. The excitement wears off, and after a while, you get bored with it. Or that beautiful piece of art that you bought. Nice. But then you need to change it after a number of years. Or the furniture or the car that was once the center of attention now holds little attention. I wonder how many of you who are still sitting here today, who are still thrilled about the Christmas present that you got last year. Even though you were on the day. You probably can't even remember what you got for Christmas. The point is this, things do not bring lasting happiness. Get that point across to your kids. It's a temporary thrill. So, coveting is a significant reason for dissatisfaction in our world. So, what's the antidote to coveting? Joshua mentioned it the morning, this morning it's the word contentment. Contentment. That is a word you rarely hear, and advertisers and marketers hate. If you're content, you're their worst nightmare because somehow jostle you out of that discontentment to get you to move forward and buy and shake loose some shekels. Paul says here in Philippians 4.12, I have learned the secret of contentment. Hang on. So I've learned how to be content. Important character skill. Whether I'm living in plenty or whether I'm um, living in want. In other words, not a lot. I've learned to be content. So contentment there, the point is, is it something you have to learn. It does not come naturally. It doesn't. It doesn't come naturally to me, and it doesn't come naturally to you. Now, one of the ways you learn contentment is by realizing the effects of always wanting more. Those five things. Now, on the last part of your outline, I want to focus, the balance the message on this, how to learn to be content. How do you do that? Four things real quick. Number one, you and I need to resist comparing ourselves to one another. Resist it. Why? Because comparing leads to coveting. If I compare, I'm going, hmm, I love a cause desire and envy or it'll cause pride. Well, I've got more than you. Both are dangerous attitudes. The Bible says here in 2 Corinthians 10, we do not dare classify or compare ourselves. We don't do that. We don't compare cars. We don't compare jobs. We don't compare clothes or... This is a subtle one. Children. We don't compare children because God made them all unique. That's really dumb. We don't compare wives and we don't compare husbands. So how do you react when, some, when you see someone with a nice house? That's a good question this morning. Do you have a case of envy or covetousness? Or more beautiful furniture? You know, wow, that furniture goes back to Louis XIV and you come back to your wife and say, yeah, if we don't pay for ours by the 13th, uh, the 30th of March, or uh, where we are in July, ours is going back to farmers. How do you react when you see someone else's stuff? Maybe it's their boat. Think about that. This is important. One of the greatest lessons you can learn in this life and you can pass on to your children to save them pain is you can learn to admire without having to acquire. You can learn to admire without having to acquire. In other words, I've told my kids, you don't have to own everything to enjoy it. The Bible talks about this clearly in 1 Timothy 6, 9. When we long to be rich, we are prey to temptation. So we're, we're going to be preyed upon. We get trapped, you may want to circle that, into all sorts of foolish and dangerous ambitions, which eventually, here's the result, plunges into ruin. Be careful That is a very strong warning from the Scriptures. Scriptures are very clear. See, things can control us. You see, you can be possessed by your possessions if you don't watch out. And you end up a slave to your possessions for the rest of your life. This is how it works. You see something and you want it. So you get it, and then you're going to pay for it. So every day you're going, you're exchanging units of your life for the stuff or these assets. Is that what life's really all about? Very challenging. This people will sacrifice morals to get more, they will f- sacrifice values and even relationships. Do you know what? Some people are so exhausted pursuing this stuff, they haven't even got chance. And we've got this is a family audience to have sex with their wives or husbands because they're too stuffed. Henceforth, it shows up in our fertility rate, which is the lowest it's ever been in the history of this country. 1.8. By the way, those of you thinking investors, that tells you something. That's a fact. 1.8. We are going to die as a country. And they can't fix that because they're really so focused. Germany is even worse. They're so stinking busy going after their careers. No time for anything else. Just pursuits. And if they do have children, they're like precious parrots <laughs> or collector cars that fit into their convenience. Very interesting changes happening. I learn to be content, secondly, when I rejoice in what I do have. Appreciate what you have and be grateful to God. He's amazing. Look, this is what the scriptures say. Don't ever feel guilty about what you do have. The Bible says, if if God God gives a man wealth and property, some of you have got wealth and property. You should be grateful. Are you grateful, or you're always clawing for the next thing? Are you enjoying what He's given you already? Because it's a gift from God the Bible says. Ecclesiastes 5.19 Friend, you and I wouldn't have a thing if it weren't for God. Now there's a trap we've talked about in this church for years and it's a very important trap to recognize. It's called the when and the then thinking. When I get blank then I'll be happy. That's how the equation goes. When I get, let me fill some of those in for you, a better-paying job, then I'll be happy. No, you won't. When I get the second mortgage paid off, then I'll be happy. When the kids are through uni, then I'll be happy. When I get that new piece of furniture, when I get that new Porsche—not that any of us drive Porsches here, you know—I'm saying, so. when I get that new house, then you'll be happy. Friends, the truth is, you'll be happy a while. For a little while. And then you've got to get the bigger, better, more improved model, TV, whatever it may be, computer. Now, let me ask you an extremely personal question. What are you waiting for to make you happy? Pastor Ennis, when I get married, then I'll be happy. Some of you are saying, when I get out of this marriage, then I'll be happy. Friend, you are as happy as you want to be. So please forget the when and then thinking. Happiness is not getting whatever you want. Happiness is enjoying what you have. Godliness with contentment is of great gain. And God wants you to enjoy what you already have. And he enjoys watching you enjoy what you already have. Just like you, as a parent, want your kids to enjoy what they've been given, not always looking for something else, right? Enjoy what you've been, my mum used to say that all the time. Enjoy what you've got. Don't be constantly looking for other things i wishing for what you don't have. Proverbs 15, 27, it's not in your outline. A greedy man brings trouble to his family. You'll destroy it. Greediness. Now, one of the marks of maturity, one of the marks of maturity in your children and your grandchildren is when, and you, is when you can say, enough is enough. Enough is enough. Now, there are two ways you can get more in this life. Let me rephrase that. There are two ways that you can have enough in this life. Number one is to get more, and number two is to want less. Two logical alternatives, then you'll have enough. The Bible says, this is its counsel to us, it's better to be satisfied with what you have than to always be wanting something else. It pains me sometimes as I see children unwrap Christmas presents. They unwrap it, the thrill for a nanosecond, and then they're wanting what their brother or sister's got. Or they're telling you about what the neighbors have got. That's a mark of immaturity. Tremendous immaturity. We recognize it in our children, but not so quickly sometimes in our own lives. The third way I learned to be content is when I realize what I have is to help others. God doesn't want to just bless you for your own benefit. To be selfish with your possessions. Actually, as children start off, they're often quite selfish. And we have to work hard as parents to what? Share. Share. Have a nice attitude about sharing. You know that? I think God has the same problem with us. He wants us to share and to help other people with it. Now, let me be real clear about this. Straightforward. So it's, it's very clear. God is watching to see how much you give away. There. He noticed the widow. It wasn't the amount. It's what she had left afterwards. Now with this, I want to read an extremely important verse. and I want you to read it with me slowly. Let's read this. The Bible says this. Tell those who are rich... What? what are we supposed to tell them? Let's read it. Not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which will soon be gone. But, on the other hand, their pride and their trust should be in the living God, yes, who always richly gives us all that we need for our enjoyment. I love that. Then it goes on. Isn't finished. Tell them. Speak it out. So I am doing what the scriptures say today. Tell them use their money to do good. That is a godly way to use your resources. That they and how that they should be rich in good works and should give happily to those in need. Always being ready to share with others whatever God has given them. Now, sidebar, by doing this, by doing what? All of the above, they will be storing up real treasure in heaven for themselves. It is the only safe investment and they will be Living a fruitful Christian life. Sorry, let's reverse all that. Part of living a fruitful Christian life is to apply this verse in your life. I want to be fruitful, more fruitful for you. Or well, you say, God says, You do, we'll do this. That's what He says, real clear. we will be living a fruitful Christian life down here as well. Not only storing up treasure in heaven, but living a fruitful Christian life. This is a critical scripture. Now, Wow, that's pretty audacious, Ian. That's not talking to us. Really? Who is that talking to? I believe this scripture, and I'm going to tell you why in just less than one minute. This scripture is talking to every single person in this room. If you live in New Zealand, you are filthy rich. You don't believe me, do you? doesn't matter whether you're on welfare. Did you hear that? doesn't matter whether you're on welfare. You are rich. Reality. From God's point of view, imagine this is a globe. Now, as he looks at the whole earth, that's what you call a global perspective. You can't get bigger than that, right? A global perspective. He looks at that. Now, how much would it take? Here's a question. I want you to write it down or think about it. Actually, write it down, it'd be good. How much would it take to be in the top 1% of the world's wealthiest? What salary would that take? I'll give you 10 seconds to write it down. Write it down. Put a stake in the ground. Just have a guess. You're not going to be popped on it, but take a guess. Have you got that number? How much? What do you think? Oh, something's very. Rich. <laughs> This is from Investopedia, this is very recent, Uh, actually May 14th, 2018, this year. For you to make it into the top 1% of the world, top 1%, so there's 99% of the world underneath you by a country mile, if your household income is this in New Zealand, you're in the top 1%. So anybody in this room whose household income is over that, you in the top 1%. So here's my point. You and I have responsibilities. This verse is talking to us. There's no way around it. We can duck and dive and feel squirmish. That's okay. Truth is important. That's the truth. Many of you have got careers as Teachers. You'll be earning over that shortly, even if you just started out. Elementary school, doesn't matter. What I'm saying to you is that puts you in the elite in the world, and it'll be hopeless if you ever try and argue otherwise. Hopeless. That's true perspective. So it's talking to us is my point. Now the question is, is it possible to be wealthy and not materialistic? Yes. Is it possible to be poor and be materialistic? Absolutely. See, you can be rich and greedy, but you can be poor and greedy. You can be rich and contented, and to my great shame, I have been with many people who don't have two brass zoos to rub together and they share whatever they've got so freely. It stabs me in the heart when I see that. It's an attitude, not an amount, is what God's getting after here. How can I be wealthy and not materialistic? Well, I ask God to help you follow these four instructions in that verse. And you'll be spiritually fruitful. You asked, here it is. From that verse, you can be as wealthy as you want if you apply those four steps, you will not be materialistic. Because you'll actually, the Bible says, calls you spiritually fruitful. So what are they? Number one, don't be proud of your wealth. Let me revisit that verse. Do not be proud of that. You didn't choose to be born in the country you were cho- uh, that you were born in. That's a gift. Don't think you're better than anybody else because you've got some foo-foo job. Or you've got more money than they've got. Do not ever fall into that prideful trap. Secondly, that verse says, do not put your trust in money. Don't look to it for your security. That is an idol. Your security is in God. Not in your bank account. Three, that verse says there, use your money to do good. That's a very interesting conversation to have with your spouse. And I understand. But I also understand what the scriptures say clearly. Use it to do good. And then four, it says, whatever you do, when you do give, give cheerfully. The Bible says, the more we receive, the more we are to give. And giving is the cure for the disease of materialism. Because it's the exact opposite of materialism. You're getting, that shows that you've got a grip on materialism. But it hasn't got a grip on you, because you can deal to it. And every time you, get, you give cheerfully, you get a spiritual victory. The Bible says in Acts 20 verse 35, there is more happiness in giving than receiving. Now, if you know that, and there's a big conjunction coming up here, and you practice that, that is a mark of maturity. Maturity. If you don't know that or don't practice it, that is a mark of immaturity. Now, as a parent, you and I are blessed beyond words when you see your kids more excited about what they're going to give rather than what they're going to get. That blesses my heart. It's a sign of godly character and growth away from selfishness which all of us want to dissuade our children from. And God wants to dissuade us from that too. When God looks down on you and sees you sharing what he's blessed you with, with other people who are in need, some of those people you saw there are in need, it blesses his heart. So to be content. I need to, one, resist comparing myself to other people. Very clearly. Two, rejoice in what I have. And number three, release what I have to help other people. Number four, I need to refocus on what is going to last. What's going to last? What he's saying is give your attention to the eternal, to the permanent values, and then reorganize your life by eternal priorities that will continue on after you die. So give you attention to these things. Look at this. Second Corinthians four eighteen. We fix our attention. So this is not just a casual glance. We we're riveted, not on the things that are seen, but on the things that are unseen. What is seen only lasts for a time, for a moment. But what cannot be seen lasts forever. What is he saying here? Everything you see is temporary. That chair you're sitting on is temporary. That car you drove here one day will be in a wrecker's yard and pulched up and munched. Nothing. Your house, gone. This hall, temporary. Everything you see will rust or decay or wear out or fall apart eventually. It won't even exist. That's what the scriptures say. Because all of our positions are temporary. The only thing that lasts for eternity are the things that you cannot see. Love. A relationship to God. Now the dangerous thing about materialism and coveting is it clouds our relationship with God and we fall for the deception and act like all there is to life is getting properties and houses and stuff. That's the way we act. And we begin to think that all there is to life is just things and that, friends, according to the word of God, is flat wrong. Wrong. There's so much more than getting to things. Our perspective gets warped. Now Jesus told us, I'm going to wrap this up, a story about this one time. He talked about this unbelievably savvy, sharp business guy who had his barns full of stuff. And that year he had a bumper crop. And he said, you know what, what the heck am I going to do? You know what, I'll build some bigger barns, get more. It did not occur to him to share any of it, to give to God any of it. It didn't occur to him that there could be other things he could do with it besides store it up. What did God say? Strong language. He says, you fool. You think that all of this to life is just getting more and moving up the ladder? He says, you're not going to take anything with you. All of those five people this week took nothing with them. The staff was going to go to kids. Some of those kids are going to squander that money. Some of them will get to kids and they'll end up with a divorce and it will just be blown to the wind. The antidote to fix that, friends, is do your giving while you're living then you're knowing where it's going. You get to choose. You can't just palm it off. Put your shoulders back, take responsibility for who we are, and make a plan. My wife and I just spent some time with our lawyers doing that. You choose. You do know what, what will happen with your own children. So God said, you fool. You're not going to take it. You only get to use this stuff for 70, 80 years. That's it. That's the time you're allotted. And if you leave too much of it to your kids, it will probably ruin them. So why beat yourself around on this one? There's more to life than things. Proverbs 23:4, which we mentioned earlier, says, don't wear yourself trying to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. As we finish up, let's ask this penetrating question. What am I? What are you really living for? Is it leisure? Constant, incessant holidays? Is it the acquisition of things? What am I really? What is the primary goal of my life? Just to get more? How much is enough? A great discussion to have. Here's another question Why did God make me? Why am I even here? And where am I going? What's going to happen after you die? All that wealth will do you no good. You can't sort of call, hey, Johnny, would you please do this for that? and that? No, no, you had your time of stewardship. You were just a manager for a very few years. You do with it as your word of God directs you and his spirit moves you. It's what you did with it, whilst you're on earth, that will count. What I'm saying is, be careful while when and then thinking. When I get to the end, then I'll do this. Mm, That's a very dangerous road to play. One of the guys I spoke to last week was about my age. Use it the right way, that's your responsibility. The Bible says a man's true life is not made up of the things he owns, no matter how rich. Jesus couldn't say that anymore clearly. And each of us has to make a choice. You decide your values. Is it going to be culture or Christ? Is it going to be, are you going to be serving the master or are you going to be giving your life to basically Madison Avenue? Do you want to break your materialistic grip on your life? If you do, why don't we close and pray? As we've looked at God's word today, maybe some of you are feeling some of the symptoms of the materialism plague. Things like fatigue, debt. Debt that's got you enslaved where you don't own your life anymore. The bank does. Worry. Maybe there's conflict going on in relationships that should be Harmonized. And maybe there's just constant dissatisfaction. I challenge you to get off the treadmill and adopt God's values and refocus your life on what is actually going to last. So today, if you've never opened up your life to Jesus Christ, would you say, Jesus, I want to know your plan for my life because things aren't working out too good. Would you forgive me for my preoccupation with things and stuff? And for breaking your commandment, which clearly tells me not to covet. I ask you to come into my life. Renew my desires. Change my heart. Change my desires today. And help me to live for you and for your kingdom's purposes, I pray. Or maybe you've already done this. Would you say, Lord, I confess... I've allowed things to come into my life that have clouded my vision of you. I need your Spirit's help to get my priorities right, to stop comparing, to enjoy what I have, and to be grateful for it. To share and give as you show me, and to refocus on what's really important. In this short life that you've given me, I pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.